Welcome to this episode of Little Dude's Insect Academy, where we discover more about the extremely diverse world of entomology with your host, Brayden Coy. Alright, welcome to episode 36 of Little Dude's Insect Academy. In this episode, I interview an expert on the topic of quote-unquote murder hornets. We debunk the myths, show you guys the facts, and we discover if if the murder hornets are really something we should be worrying about. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, guys. So I am here with Dr. Chris Looney, and uh, I'm just, I, you guys, you guys might know him from... You guys might know Chris from a number of videos and interviews that have been on TV and YouTube and stuff like that about the recent uh, Japanese giant hornet thing in Washington State. Although Chris is not actually a, he is not specialized in the Japanese giant hornet specifically, he is an entomologist for the Washington State Department of Agriculture. So introduce yourself, Chris. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Chris Lenny. As, as you just learned, I work for the Washington State Department of Agriculture, where I manage our sort of general entomology laboratory. I provide taxonomy services and natural history research and things like that to support our other invasive species monitoring and eradication programs. That's really awesome. So, um, like I said earlier, you're not you're not per se a well. You are an expert on the topic, but you're not. You don't study um, a lot of people, for you guys listening, the way that this usually works is entomologists sometimes specialize in certain species or they specialize in certain genus or families. And then there's also people like Gail, who I interviewed earlier, who is a forensic entomologist. So there are many different kinds of entomologists, but Chris um, is not, his specialty is not Japanese giant hornets, just to make that clear. Um, but you know, he has been working with them a lot. So tell us a little bit about kind of the journey of this whole Hornet thing. People are really worried about it. And I just want you to kind of explain the facts. Yeah, you bet. We'll start with reminding everybody not to worry about it too much right now. Yeah, so yeah. hold that in your mind and we'll come back around to it at the end. Um, we got interested in this last year when a specimen of what I think was ultimately de- identified as Vespa soror, a related species, mm-hmm. uh, was was found in Vancouver, North Vancouver, British Columbia. So, <clears throat> excuse me, a single adult specimen, no evidence that there's any kind of reproductive activity or anything like that, but it brings yeah. up the fact that we are always exposed to to species coming in from other countries or even from other parts of, of our own continent. Um, so, you know, we started thinking about that, uh, planning some responses that we might have if we were to get get something here. And then lo and behold, in August in Nanaimo, which is on Vancouver Island, uh, some beekeepers oh, yeah. started reporting enormous hornets, uh, which turned out to be Asian giant hornets. They found some and identified them. Not long after, in September, they actually found a nest and eradicated it. There is a totally diverting YouTube video by Conrad uh, Berube, and I think I said his last name right, a beekeeper on Vancouver Island. You should watch it. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, so raise the stakes. We proposed an official survey to the federal government. And then in the meantime, in December... Uh, a picture started making the rounds on Reddit and then through oh, the Washington Invasive Species Council of an actual specimen in Blaine. Uh, I was at a meeting somewhere, so I couldn't go check it out. It's like, it's one of those things I remember exactly where I was at the time. Um, but my boss was able to. 
and it verified it. And we learned recently, or not long after that, that a specimen had also been found about a kilometer away by another beekeeper who had observed these, these doing the hawking behavior where they just kind of attack individual bees. And suddenly our plans for a, uh, a what-if scenario, if we found Asian giant hornets in Washington State, it came in, oh yeah, it's, it's really here, and now it's time for us to survey and see what we can find. So, so out of that, it's important for people to remember we only have two actual specimens. We don't have evidence of a nest or reproduction. Um, we, we really don't know if they're established yet or not, and our job is to do a lot of survey see if we can find evidence of any. And then if we do, try to eradicate them. Really, the goal is, is to see if they're even here and keep them from spreading if it turns out they are here. Um, but there's no evidence they are anywhere in North America besides our tiny corner of the Pacific Northwest. So if you're anywhere else, relax. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you found, you said two other specimens. Have there been reports of more or are those the only two confirmed or what's the situation there? So those are the only two confirmed in Washington state. I, I did forget to mention that there was a photograph of one that, uh, that Canadian scientists feel pretty good about that was taken in White Rock, British Columbia. So that's just over the border. So, yeah. so those are all our three sort of confirmed specimens. The only other things we've had are reports from beekeepers, uh, usually of, of hive kills. So, there are lots of things that kill beekeeper hives. Or, oh or yeah, hives. Yeah. I actually right? just I actually just put a hive in my yard this 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 year, so I mean I'll see how it goes, but I don't have super high expectations. There are a lot of things that can go wrong, and you know people blame it on things all the time, but it could be something completely different. That's exactly right. So what we're doing is we're taking the ones that are sort of within the estimated um, foraging distance for sure and kind of our guess about dispersal distance seriously and, and including those in our trapping program. Um, but the ones that are pretty far away or match other kinds of high death events, we're not quite as concerned about. But the answer to your main question, there have only been three confirmed sightings outside of uh, Vancouver Island. Hmm. So you guys get reports. You guys get reports all the time, though, right? Oh, indeed. Yeah. And I'm and yeah. I'm sure not all of them are correct because people see these, you know, these wasps and they're like, "Whoa, they're so big!" But then they can report it, and it's just something really small that freaked them out, right? So yes. you really never know until you actually either see a picture or you're there and you see it in person. So, what do you guys, from a logistical standpoint? What are you guys doing, um, you and maybe your team and stuff like that, what are you guys doing to further, from a logistical standpoint, kind of prevent the, I shouldn't say the spread, but the, um, you know, the, the reproduction of them, kind of explain, I, I want you to explain what you guys are doing to prevent things like that. Yeah, so... In terms of preventing an, an Asian giant hornet incursion, if you will, um, the, the first step is really something that happens at the ports of entry. And this is what Customs and Border Protection and USDA uh, tend to do together. And they're the ones that screen passengers, screen cargo, that sort of thing to, to make sure that um, prohibited species aren't entering the country by accident. And basically every country on earth does this in some form or the other. So that's the first line of defense. Um, then we get involved when something's found in the state. 
like our two specimens up in near Blaine. And what we're going to do in response is put out a pretty dense grid of traps. Uh, the idea is to um, trap primarily in the summer because that's when, when nests should be bigger and workers should be available to, to blunder into traps. We'll look for positive hits. And if we get one, we will then try to come up with a way to, to figure out where a nest might be. Um, the easy one is we will increase our trap density and then follow a gradient of, of hornet workers back to a nest. Um, we also might experiment with some things like tying radio tags or, or streamers to hornet workers and trying to follow them physically back to the nest. They've done this with a similar species that's invading Europe. Um, there are some challenges. Uh, for instance, the, net, the species we're worried about, Vespa mandarinia, the Asian giant hornet, nests in the ground. And so we're not even sure if we got a radio tag on one of these things, that we'd be able to pick it up once it, uh, once it goes to earth, so to speak. So, so we don't know. It's pretty expensive and, and experimental. But basically the goal is to somehow locate a nest if we actually find any workers over the summer. And oh, a cool thing about this insect is they keep their nest at, at almost 90 degrees Fahrenheit uh, during the summer. So um, we will be using infrared cameras to help in that search. We should be able oh, to get wow. a temperature uh, just by shining it on the ground. Our, our, our soil is not usually that warm. If we were in Texas, that would be a lot harder, but it should work mm -hmm. up here. That's really interesting. So you guys have are working on a way to kind of track them and stuff like that. So something that, well, they're a hornet. They're not, they're not a wasp or a bee. So explain to the people at home what the difference between a wasp, a bee, and in this case a hornet is kind of in the hive and stuff like that. I think it would be fair to refer, the, refer to them as a wasp, but they are a very specific kind of wasp, and those are the true hornets. So those are the ones in the genus Vespa. There are, uh, I think, uh, 22 species described in the genus Vespa. They're all native to the Palearctic, almost all to Asia. I think there's just one native to Europe. That's Vespa crabro, the European hornet, which incidentally is also in eastern North America. Mm. Um, they are predaceous, you know, so they're eusocial. That means they live in a hive where there's like a single breeding uh, queen usually um, with the, the little larvae collectively reared by the workers. And, and what the workers do is they fly out and catch other insects. They're predaceous. They catch other insects in Japan. They eat a lot of beetles and caterpillars and things like that. In addition to honeybees, they mash them up into a protein-rich meatball and bring it back and feed it to their grubs. That is really, really distinct from what bees do. Bees are all uh, pollinivores, right? They're, they're all herbivores that feed on pollen, uh, and that's what they mash up and bring back to their larvae. So that's the biggest difference between wasps and bees. Uh, wasps tend to be predaceous. Um, bees tend to be uh, you know, pollinators. There actually is, in this family Vespidae, that includes hornets and paper wasps and, and yellow jackets, there is a subfamily, the Macerinae, that, that are that actually are pollen feeding wasps, which is super interesting and, and mm. fairly unique. That's really interesting. So with, we know with a uh, honeybee, for example, you know, there's a queen bee. What, what's the situation for reproduction in a wasp or a hornet um, family or hive or nest or something like that? Yeah, so it varies by species, but for, for Vespa mandarinia, the one we're talking about, there is a single foundress, uh, that's the queen. Um, she will overwinter 
um, after she's mated, she'll overwinter in the spring, right about now, she'll be coming out, looking around, eating uh, sap and carbohydrates and things like that, and looking for a good place to start a nest. Um, she'll find a cavity, a pre-existing cavity that she can enlarge maybe if she needs to uh, in the ground. We'll start her nest, lay an initial 40 or so eggs. Uh, once those workers are all mature enough, she basically just hangs out in the nest and doesn't do anything else anymore except for lay eggs, you know, and, and maintain sort of the colony dynamics through pheromones and stuff like that. Uh, the workers will go out and forage and then they expand the nest. The nest will continue to grow throughout the summer, uh, end up with like maybe five to seven layers of hexagonal comb, much like, much like honeycomb, but, but they're arranged a little bit differently. And then as the nest expands throughout the summer, it'll reach sort of its maximum size in late August, uh, early September. That's when, the, uh, that's when these collective attacks on other social insects, including beehives, or that everybody's so freaked out about, that's when those occur. And that really seems to maybe be a response to ramping up productivity in the hive or maybe uh, diminished availability of other insects uh, in the landscape in general. They feed, uh, they produce the new generation of queens and males. This is the only time males show up really in the nest, by the way. You know, they're, mm. All the hornets that you see most of the time are, are females. Uh, they're the ones that do all the work in the nest um, and males don't show up until the end. Yeah. Both these males and these new females that are ready to be queens will take off. In this particular species, they seem to mate actually right outside their nest. And then once they're mated, the queens disperse to overwinter. If they're, um, if they're mated queens, they'll pop up in the spring and try to start a nest. And if they're unmated queens, they'll pop up in the spring and then slowly die off. So um, I, have, I have views on this, but... <laughs> What what do you think of the the media, the press calling calling them murder hornets? So <laughs> because it's not the common name. Oh, go ahead. What? Yeah, because I feel like um, well, it is a nickname. It's obviously not the common name. Um, it's just an, a a name given to them by us. But when they call them murder hornets, they seem to imply that they're murder hornets to humans. Um, so I want I want to I want to hear your views on that term, calling them murder hornets. So the murder hornet name is both hilarious and unfortunate. Um, it was it wasn't made up by the media. That's an important thing, or at least not the U.S. media to remember. It was mm. it was told to a reporter from the New York Times by a Japanese researcher who works on these hornets, and you said, oh yeah, their nickname in Japan is murder hornet. Um, it does create the unfortunate impression that they are a lot more dangerous than they are, and. You know, it's, it's no joke. These these really can sting people. They really do kill people, even people who aren't allergic. Um, nobody wants to, to deal with this, but they're not out to murder people at all, right? They're just flying around doing hornet stuff, eating eating bugs, taking them back to their nest, that kind of thing. So, so the murder hornet really exaggerates the human health threat. Um, I've heard some people say like, well, they really murder honeybees and yeah, they can be a devastating pest of, of individual beehives. I'm not really sure that's where that moniker comes from. I, I kind of got the impression that it was about humans. But um, but even that, they're they're predacious hornets. That's what they are. If we want to call them something, we could call them big predator hornets. Uh, instead, we're going to go with Asian giant hornet as our preferred common name because hopefully it tamps down the hysteria and, uh, and it's accurate. They're really giant. They are the biggest hornet in the genus mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, and the, you know, originally from Asia. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some, you know, misconceptions around the whole thing. It's kind of, it's be, it's a big thing in the news right now. Um, but 
it, it's hard. It's hard for me to watch videos like that because um, there are some false facts that they give sometimes. And, um, you know, it's just sometimes I'm not saying all the times, but some of these videos kind of put them in the wrong, the wrong light sort of, which is kind of hard to watch because they really don't, they don't live up to that name. I don't think. So, yeah. So I, I really don't like to call them that. And it, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's one of those things where they call it for that, that for the news. And again, they, um, you said that the media didn't make that name and you're right, but, um, they put that name on there just to make people, you know, click on it and stuff like that. So that is sort of unfortunate in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's really, um, the whole situation is kind of, I'm not saying, um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it's just a little unfortunate where, um, that they tend to put them in a little bit of a wrong of a, a wrong light, but they are part of nature, right? So they are yeah. in Asia, and people do live there well. And there are plenty of beekeepers in Asia that do very well, and those wasps don't cause huge problems for them. It's just part of the circle of life. That's what they feed on. They feed on bees. They feed on other insects, stuff like that. So it's really nothing to be afraid of. Um, and so from a eco, from a, from a habitat and an ecosystem perspective, do you think that the, the Asian hornets could survive in Washington state? Definitely. Um, there was so. nothing about the habitat in Western Washington state um, that sticks out as, as an, deal breaker for Asian giant hornet survival. There's plenty of food. The climate is not horribly dissimilar to, to Hokkaido where they, you know, are known to live. Um, and then, you know, if they were to get into even more Southern areas, say, like say the Willamette Valley or something, I think they would find it even more palatable. So yeah, there's every reason to take this incursion seriously. If they were in somewhere else, like if they were, if we found them in Nevada, it'd probably be a lot less concerning. Um, that might be too dry and too desert. In fact, I know a lab at Washington State University and probably many others on Earth right now are, are developing uh, habitat suitability models so we can have a better idea about where we need to be worried about. Yeah, they could establish in Washington State. And, you know, you mentioned the ecosystem. That's that's one thing that really concerns me. Certainly, we don't want another pest of bees. It's already, it's already hard enough to maintain beehives without having them swoop and eat them all, you know, get eaten by a, by a hornet. Um, we don't want to introduce another human health hazard, even if it's a rare one, if we can help it. That's just you know, bad policy. Um, but the big question is that we don't really know what it might do to, to the ecosystem at large. They could, they could compete and, and displace some of our native species. You know, maybe not. Maybe the niches wouldn't really overlap right to create that, that kind of problem. Um, they could become a major predator for other, other insects that we don't want to see eaten. We just don't know. And so we're in a lucky spot right now where we have a chance to simply never have to ask these questions by ensuring it doesn't get established. Um, and we don't have to wrestle with the management implications down the road. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're really trying to, um, you know, eradicate them here in Washington and study them. And, um, we definitely don't want them to go any farther than they already are now. Yeah. They're, they're not, you know, they're not, um, 
yeah, we just don't want them, you know, we don't want them to spread very well because, as you said, they actually can. They could establish here and, um, you know, they're not native here. So anything that's not native to your area that's invasive isn't really a good thing to be there to begin with, even though it's not harmful. Well, you know, that I'm just going to give an example, like maybe an invasive plant comes here from some other country. Even though it wouldn't cause problems, probably don't want it here anyway because it's not from here so that's kind of our situation with these hornets they are pretty harmful to humans but you know um your question brings up some really interesting points about how we think about introduced species um certainly not every introduced species causes measurable harm to to human uh human interests or natural ecosystems you know um mm-hmm. Some of them just show up. I and there's probably a native plant person out there that'll be angry at me for saying this, but I, I have to think of dandelions as that. They're kind of around, but they don't seem to cause large-scale changes in the ecosystem. On the other hand, we do have introduced species. Zebra mussel is a great example that that totally change ecosystems. Uh, and so that's why it's good to to just not take the risk. Those those ecosystem scale changes are hard to predict. Um, and we're not always the best at doing so. So we just Let's just not even go there. Yeah. Uh, but then there's this other one about like, it's actually almost a philosophical question you bring up that we don't want introduced species at all because uh, we've adopted a sort of preservationist perspective on our, on our own landscapes. Um, and I, I get that. I'm like, I like living in North America and seeing North American plants and animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I want to see plants and animals that aren't from North America, I think the right way to deal with that is to go to that other place and look at them there. So, you know, I, I want to live in the places and the ecosystems that I already have, not some strange one that you know mixes it all together. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to move on a little bit. Um, yeah. We've talked a lot about the, the the whole hornet situation, the Asian Asian giant hornet situation in Washington State, and uh, I just want to move on to some of your career. I always like to ask um, the people that I interview. I kind of I kind of like to learn about their education up to now. Where did you go to school? Kind of your schooling before then and up to now. Yeah, so I never wanted to be an entomologist as a kid. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, I had zero interest in going to college at all. Uh, I was much more interested in in arts and, and literature and music than I was science. But I was married at the time to a woman that still had to finish high school. In fact, we got married very young. Mm-hmm. Um, she finished high school. I worked construction and restaurant jobs. And we were lucky enough to live in an apartment complex in Seattle where my apartment manager, Linda Bartlett, I just learned recently passed away, which is very sad, planted a garden. I decided to help her. And I realized that messing about with living things was way more fun than schlepping sheetrock or frying oysters. So when yeah. my wife went to school, I just went with her. We went to Washington State University. I applied to be in horticulture. My very first academic advisor was Dr. Pam Soltis, a really well-known botanist. She's at the University of Florida now, who said, now you should just go straight for biology. So I said, okay, I did. And I just took every kind of biology class I could, uh, everything from fish to viruses to plants. Uh, And the first entomology class, I was like, wow, there are so many kinds of insects. I could do this and never get bored. It'll be a different bug every single day. Um, Oh, yeah. I kind of fell into it that way. Um, 
I worked as a fish biologist actually for a while for the National Marine Fisheries Service, Idaho Fish and Game, um, before finishing a PhD in, in environmental science, although I studied insects the entire time at the University of Idaho. Uh, that's kind of how it happened. Then I ended up in this job. You pointed out that I'm not a specialist, which is kind of true. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm what we call, or what I call, a general entomologist, and I try to be able to respond to lots of different kinds of insect questions and research opportunities as they arise. And it's the best job for me because I have a short attention span when it comes to books. So, <laughs> so um, what, another question is, do you kind of want to just keep doing this, um, this, this position that you have for the rest of your career? Or do you want to maybe shift focus or kind of move on to something a little bit different? So, you know, this job I have at the, at the University of Nowhere at the, at the Washington State Department of Agriculture is sort of perfect. Um, I, I get to work on lots and lots of different insects all the time. Asian giant hornet right now. We've been working on the red lily leaf beetle, another introduced and invasive species. Um, and I work on southern green stink bug, another introduced potentially invasive species. I also have room to pursue my own sort of academic and intellectual interests. So, so I'm part of a, a group of international people working on rose galls actually right now. So they're in the genus Diplolepis, they're Diplolepis, depending on how you like your Latin. They're yeah. little tiny cynipid wasps that that start that that induce galls on rose plants. And with some scientists in China and Romania and Canada, we're exploring kind of what the the global uh, biogeography of these insects are, where they came from, where if they radiated the most and that's something that would be maybe hard to do at a university. I would really have to, to um, convince, uh, well, I guess in this job, I get, to, I get to look at the little picture sometimes and make contributions that aren't quite as high stakes as university faculty would have to do. And so it's a really nice, comfortable space to be in where I get to contribute to, to knowledge of entomology and serve the public at the same time. I have amazing staff and amazing collaborators here. I, I kind of can't imagine going anywhere else right now. Also, not to be a jerk, but I live in the most beautiful part of the, of, of North America. Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> of course, we're, we're kind of biased because, yeah, but definitely. Um, I think we can just wrap it up here. So the last thing I like to ask people is, where can we learn more about what you're working on? Maybe social media, a website, something that my viewers can go to to learn about what you're doing and maybe maybe your, your social media if you have one. So I personally don't have social media. I'm kind of a Luddite when it comes to that stuff. Um, but if you go to our agency webpage, it's www dot agr dot wa dot gov slash hornets you can keep abreast of the asian giant hornet story that has a lot of connections to the agency's social media it's, it's a pretty good way to start uh, finding out more about what washington state department of agriculture entomology program does uh, you can learn more about our gypsy moth projects and some of the other exotic species we work on uh, that's probably the best way to to stay abreast all right. So thank you so much for going on the show. And I can't wait to hear about more about what you're doing. Definitely go check that website out, guys, and follow this story as it, as it happens here in Washington State. It's really interesting. I, I, I really think it's interesting learning about what we're doing to deal with this, um, the Hornet situation in 
uh, Washington State. I think it's really interesting about um, the balance of ecosystems. Anyway, guys, go check it out. It's definitely some cool reading to do. Learn something while you're in the house and definitely go outside and discover new things. So thank you so much for going on the show, Chris. And I look forward to learning more about what you do later. I appreciate you reaching out. It was really nice to talk to you. Take care. All right. Okay, guys, that is all for now. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to go um, subscribe to this channel if you guys want to stay up to date on the new episodes coming out. I have a bunch of new interviews lined up for you guys. You guys will definitely enjoy them. I'm super excited for that. Share this episode with one of your friends. Go check me out on Patreon so you can support me financially and grow the quality of this channel. Again, share this episode. Make some social media posts. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Little Dudes Insect Academy. And I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of Little Dudes Insect Academy, then consider subscribing to my channel and sharing this episode with one of your friends. You can even support me financially through my Patreon, which has a link in the description. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep on bugging.